Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast. The We Gotta Get Right Back to Where We Started From edition as I visit with one of my favorite guests, radio and TV host and NFL.com columnist Adam Shine. Then Bengals.com editor Jeff Hobson joins me to discuss the biggest positives coming out of training camp as well as our biggest concerns heading into the season opener against Pittsburgh. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Ultimate Bengals. Download Ultimate Bengals ahead of the 2022 season. It's free to play next level fantasy football with fantastic Bengals prizes. Get it now on the App Store and Google Play. And here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. It's the greatest thing since a good steak. Last weekend, I traveled to Arkansas to call the UC Bearcats season opener, and I figured it would be wise to get a Friday night dinner recommendation from former Razorback star Brandon Allen, who not only played at Arkansas, but grew up near campus. The Bengals' backup quarterback sent me and my friends to Doe's, that's D-O-E apostrophe S, a casual steakhouse with four locations in Arkansas. I took our server's recommendation and ordered the ribeye, And I'm here to tell you that it was not only delicious, but it was gigantic. It would have tipped over Fred Flintstone's car. As I told Brandon, my arteries hate him. But it was an excellent recommendation and one I am happy to pass along. If you like a big, juicy steak, when in Arkansas, go to Doe's. Now, time to get to my first guest. He hosts a national radio show. He hosts a nightly TV show on CBS Sportsnet. He has his own podcast. He writes a column for NFL.com. He is my guy, Adam Shine. Now, with that schedule, Adam, there's not a lot of free time, so I really appreciate you doing this. Let's start with Joe Burrow. Your admiration for the Bengals quarterback is well-documented. I think you've used the word obsessed before. Give us the national perspective. What has Joe Burrow done for the Cincinnati Bengals? Well, first and foremost, Dan, it's uh, always great to be with you. Love you. Love love your podcast. Love listening to your play-by-play calls of of the Cincinnati Bengals. And listen, I'm obsessed with Joe Burrow. I love Joe Burrow. And I think think everyone nationwide knows Joe has it. I mean, I think it goes back to that year at, at LSU where I'd make the case, and now it's years later, not subject to exaggeration or hyperbole, greatest offensive season ever in the history of college football. And that starts with Joe Burrow. Then he goes to Cincinnati, adds needed talent, swagger, attitude at the quarterback position. Look, the Bengals caught a lot of people off guard last year. I thought they'd be great. I did not think they would be Super Bowl great. I thought the offense would be excellent. I was all in on Burrow. But what really impressed me, and I think what really translated with a lot of people nationwide, Joe Burrow wouldn't use Cinderella. He wouldn't use this as some kind of little engine that could story or, you know, the plucky upstart Bengals. It's no, we expect to win these games. We expect to be here. We expect to beat Baltimore. We expect to beat Kansas City. We expect to win the Super Bowl. And he was pissed off when the Bengals didn't win the Super Bowl. I thought it all just fit the genius on and off the field of what Joe Burrow is all about. 
You have had some big-name quarterbacks on your podcast in recent weeks. Josh Allen from the Bills, Aaron Rodgers from the Packers. I'm sure you would love to have Joe Burrow on the Adam Shine podcast. If you were able to book him, what are some things you would like to know from Joe Burrow? Well, first of all, I would love to have Joe Burrow on the podcast. Just I, I want to know what makes him tick because we talk about how there's no you know element of surprise or a Cinderella story. I mean, his story is pretty amazing considering his path and his ride in college. I mean, even before that year at LSU, we weren't talking about him necessarily as being that number one overall pick. I mean, going back to the Ohio State days and then the transfer. So, you know, where he got that amazing confidence from and at what point he, you know, developed into this great quarterback, but natural leader. And I, I'm just obsessed with his work ethic. I'm obsessed with his accountability. I'm obsessed, you know, he, he, he's one of those quarterbacks. He always knows from a young age, never point the finger, always point the thumb. Whether that's right, wrong, or indifferent, it's on him. You know, if something good happens or something positive for the Bengals, credit the teammates. Something that doesn't go our way, that's on me. That's my responsibility. So I would love to talk to him about his work ethic, his leadership, his mentality, and his swagger. Dan, it's I'm con when I say obsessed, I mean he's one of those cocksure quarterbacks that's like right out of central casting. I'm gonna kick butt, take names, tell you I'm gonna do it, and have fun in the process. I I just love watching him. I, and by the way, if you want to help me get him on the Adam Shine podcast, I'd love that too. I'd love to talk to Joe Burrow. Right after he does the Bengals Booth podcast, uh, I'd be happy to try to help. Adam Shine is our guest. It's no secret that Joe got sacked too many times last year, 70 times if you include the postseason. The Bengals did something about it. They went out and signed three established veteran free agents. With that in mind, Adam, do you think the Bengals have changed the narrative that's been out there forever that they won't participate in free agency? I think they completely change it. And I think they had to change it. And I think they had to change it because, you know, it was real. It was legit. It was a fair criticism. And, and I think with Joe Burrow, there's now accountability. And there's now a standard. And it goes back to that whole, that was not Cinderella quotient that I talked about earlier. Okay, so what do great organizations do? See a problem, fix a problem. Have a franchise quarterback, surround him with what he needs to win. Okay, you want Jamar Chase? And by the way, that was the right pick, only pick. We talked about that on your podcast last year. Great. You want T. Higgins? Great. Joe Mixon, who was there before, top five running back, in my opinion, in the National Football League. All right. Pass protection is not what it's supposed to be. Passed on some offensive tackles, right move to draft chase. Now, let's go out and be active in free agency. Let's spend the money, not haphazardly, wisely. And, and I think it got everybody's attention. I mean, you know, Lyle Collins could have picked a lot of different places to go. I mean, people were flocking to Cincinnati to be part of this, to be part of Joe Burrow's offensive line, to be one of his body protectors. Because in free agency, let's not kid ourselves, right? Money is at the top, but you want an opportunity to win. So the Bengals had to join the party, and I, I just thought they did so brilliantly, Dan, in the offseason. You ran down the skill position talent, Chase, Higgins, Mixon. We can throw Tyler Boyd in there as well. 
Let's talk about the defense because the defense really was the key to the three playoff victories that led to the appearance in the Super Bowl. Do people sleep on the Cincinnati Bengals defense? Without question, they do. I think everybody's guilty of it because the offense is so great and so dynamic. But, you know, I, I don't think you're exaggerating at all. I mean, that defense was so tough, so clutch. You know, you look at the Raider game, you look at the Tennessee game, you look at the Kansas City game. You know, that to me is the ultimate defense for the juggernaut offense and the fantastic quarterback. You need a playmaking defense. Look at the Kansas City defense when the Chiefs were winning a Super Bowl. Look at the Rams defense. You don't have to be in Cincinnati, in my opinion, a top 10 defense. You have to be tough. You have to be clutch. You have to get the opportunistic interception and quarterback sack. Get the ball back to Joe. That, that's what it's all about. The front seven, I thought, was excellent. The DBs made plays. You're right. I, I think we're all guilty of it. I'm guilty of it. This, this defense is really under the radar, and it's not, it's not a fluke. It's not a flash in the pan. I thought the team drafted well on defense. And I think the Bengals will be back in the Super Bowl conversation. So prior to last year, the Bengals were 6-25-1 the previous two seasons. You did say prior to last year that you thought they were going to be good. I will give you credit for that. Had they pulled off the Super Bowl title and they had the lead with less than two minutes to go, would you have considered it one of the great underdog championship stories of all time? Yes, absolutely. And I, I think that... You know, a lot of things tie in. First, to your point, the record, right? Because I could like a team or you could like the team. But, you know, as Bill Parcells once said, you are what your record says it is at the end of the day. So, you know, a lot of people wanted to see it before they believed it with the, the Cincinnati Bengals. So I, I think that that's fair. And, you know, I also think, too, I mean, I picked Cincinnati to beat Tennessee. That and, and people kept calling my radio show on Sirius XM. They thought I was crazy. Like they thought that was an asinine pick Cincinnati over Tennessee. Now, albeit it came down to the final play, great game. You know, I, I think people kept going against and betting against and just not believing in the Bengals because of Bengal history. And that that wasn't fair. So I think that history is a part of that. And, you know, the division historically tough, the conference historically tough. So, yeah, I, I think I think that would have been considered one of the greats from the beginning to the end, single season Super Bowl rides if the Bengals won in NFL history. So the Bengals open at home. They get the Pittsburgh Steelers at Paycor Stadium. What do you think of that week one matchup? Oh, I think it's great. You know, I had Mike North, the VP of programming and scheduling on my SiriusXM radio show. And Dan, he made the point to me, week one schedule was done with a purpose where he wanted to put big games, rivalry games, week one, get the juices flowing for the NFL season. And to me, this is one of them. Steelers, Bengals, I mean, Cincinnati, that scene is going to be unbelievable and it's a rare year based upon history where you clearly feel better about the Bengals compare and contrast to Pittsburgh. And I think Joe Burrow is going to come out on fire. I think that Joe Mixon is going to have an excellent game. I think Jamar Chase is, is absolutely special. And I think that Bengals defense going up against a newbie at quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers, 
I think they're going to thrive, feel the energy. And I think Cincinnati will absolutely take care of business in week number one. Adam Shine is our guest. Let's get you on the record for this season. Where do you see the Bengals in the AFC North and in the AFC in general? So I, I've put a lot of thought into this. First of all, I think the AFC this year is the strongest conference in the history of the NFL. Seriously, in terms of quarterback play, in terms of overall talent, you look at all the players that you know, got traded or free agents that moved from the NFC to the AFC, the great quarterback talent in, in the conference, players returning from injury. I, I don't think that that is, is crazy talk uh, before the season starts. So I have Cincinnati winning the division, and I, I don't even remotely hesitate. And I think the North is going to be strong. I think by every single team's own metric, all four teams in the division are better than what they were last year. I think the Bengals are better another year for Joe, the offensive line, the defense, everything, Dan, we just talked about. I think the Steelers are better. I think Trubisky, Pickett, I think no matter what happens, that's an upgrade over the version of Ben Roethlisberger we saw on the field last year. I love George Pickens. Can't believe he lasted to the second round. Miles Jack, excellent talent. Cleveland, not to the level they wanted, but they're better even with six games of Deshaun Watson down the stretch of the season. I don't think Cleveland's a playoff team. Don't misinterpret, but I think they're better. The Ravens are better. Lamar's healthy. Dobbins is healthy. Stanley's healthy. And Baltimore to me is kind of a, a bit of a factory in terms of, you know, excellent owner, excellent GM, excellent coach. Baltimore is always going to be in the mix. So I have them winning the division, the Bengals, because I think an amazing talent, uh, at quarterback, great coach, great organization. Bengals are ready to rock. I think the Bengals, I have them, Super Bowl is the upside, as the third best team in the AFC go into the season. Now, if I'm a Bengals fan listening, and I'm, Bengals fans are listening to this on your podcast, I think, I hope you can appreciate where I'm coming from without being offended. I think the Bills are the most talented team in the AFC. Now, the second one to me, team number two on the AFC list, might be offensive, and that's the Chargers. I think the Chargers had the best offseason of any team in the league, calculated with J.C. Jackson and Khalil Mack and Joseph Day to stop the run, re-signing Mike Williams, drafting a needed offensive lineman, and I love Herbert. I think Herbert is fantastic. So I think the Bengals are the winner of the AFC North. I think they're the third-best team in the AFC, and I think their upside is to go to the Super Bowl and win it, but – that's where I will pick them for this upcoming season. I can't imagine any Bengals fan will be too offended by that. Last thing for Adam Shine. You do a column every year for NFL.com where you make nine bold predictions. Now, this was filed in June, but I have to ask you about one of those predictions. You've got the Patriots as the third worst team in the AFC. Bill Belichick, third worst team in the AFC. Do you still feel that way? You know, it's interesting. I'm glad that you brought this up because it's funny. You're, you know, we're all creating content, right? And my editors asked me to do that for NFL.com. I didn't even hesitate. And, and that's stamped when I did it in June. You know, oftentimes we're all suckers for, for training camp and preseason football. 
you know, I call it, Dan, a little bit of Joey Harrington disease, where you see someone like Joey Harrington go 15 to 16 and, oh, Joey's going to be great. No, that's, you know, I'll slow down. It's, it's not going to be that good or in the league at all when it's all said and done. Um, Patriots August has been a train wreck. So I not only believed it then, I feel even better about it now. And I mean, you help me with the numbers here. I think all four teams in the Bengals division are better than the Patriots. I think all four teams in the AFC West are better than the Patriots. I think bare bones minimum two teams in the South are better than the Patriots. I think the Bills are better than the Patriots. I think Dolphins are better than the Patriots. And really, I like the players more in Jacksonville than I do in New England. I mean, I don't know what Bill's did. And again, I think he's the greatest coach in the history of sports, not just football. I think the Patriots dynasty will never be duplicated, but I, I don't know what he's doing with the offensive coordinator. I don't like the talent on offense. I don't like the talent on defense. If they win eight games, that'll solely be because of Bill Belichick. I, I, I do not like the Patriots this year at all. I like the bold prediction, and I love the term Joey Harrington disease. I don't know how you fit everything you do into your schedule, but I love everything that you do, and I really appreciate your time. Thanks so much, Adam, for joining us. Dan, you're the best. Have an unbelievable season, my friend. You can hear Adam's radio show, Shine On Sports, every weekday from 9 to noon on Sirius XM. His TV show, Time to Shine, airs weeknights at 6 p.m. on CBS Sports Network. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Ultimate Bengals, the free-to-play fantasy football game. This past season, Ultimate Bengals awarded a weekly winner during the course of the year with tickets, autographed merchandise, and money-can't-buy experiences all up for grabs. Find Ultimate Bengals in the App Store and Google Play. Now that it's opening week, it's time for some final thoughts on training camp. Who stood out? What concerns remain? And did Zach Taylor do the right thing by not playing his starters in the preseason? I discuss those questions and more with Bengals.com editor, Jeff Butch Hobson. Butch, it's opening week. We're getting ready to kick off the season against the Pittsburgh Steelers on Sunday at Paycor Stadium. But we're going to take some time today to review what took place during training camp. On a regular basis, you give out the player of the day. So in a similar vein, who is your training camp MVP? I don't know if he ever wanted uh, the coveted player of the day, but I'm going to go with two of them. Actually, I'm going to go with Co. Evan McPherson, who, uh, you know, hardly ever missed and uh, which is self-explanatory. And then I think uh, Vaughn Bell, uh, hmm. I think he, Vaughn did get it once, uh, but I think the reason he's the MVP is um, I think how much he helped Dax Hill, uh, you know, uh, Jesse Bates did not show up really until after training camp. And so, Dax Hill played his spot and, uh, you know, he's a rookie. I, I guess he made some rookie mistakes, I guess, but it sure didn't look blatant, you know? And I think, yes, I think Dax Hill's a smart guy. He showed all the things why they made him the first round pick, but I think having Vaughn Bell next to him, no doubt helped to help to make it that much easier. So Bell uh, for what he did uh, off the field and Mac for what he did on the field. Oddly enough, 
I wrote down two guys as well. And Evan McPherson is one of mine. You had the 65 yard field goal and welcome back Saturday. You had the 56 and 58 yarders in the first preseason game. I think it just underscored how valuable he has become uh, this quickly in his NFL career. You had the five walk-off game winners last year. And then if you look back at those playoff games, if he had missed one of those kicks leading up to the Super Bowl, that might have doomed them. But four for four against the Raiders, four for four against the Titans, including the 52-yarder to win the game, four for four against the Chiefs, including a 52-yarder in the fourth quarter that helped them get to overtime. And then he picked up where he left off in training camp. So I'm with you on Evan McPherson. The other one for me would be Trey Hendrickson. I thought on a daily basis, he was the most dominant player during training camp. He had 13 and a half sacks a couple of years ago, 14 sacks last year. So he went up by a half a sack. I'm going to predict he goes up by a half a sack again. 14 and a half sacks is my prediction for this yeah. season. And, you know, uh, when they practiced against the Rams, we got to see Andrew Whitworth's replacement, Joseph Noteboom, a guy that's kind of been waiting in the wings for the Rams. And they right. trusted him enough to give him a $40 million contract going into this year. They might want their money back after seeing what Trey Hendrickson was doing to him in those two joint practices. So I thought he was great. His contract certainly looks like a bargain these days. A year two of a four-year $60 million deal. People scoffed, thought it was a bad deal when the Bengals handed it out. Now it seems like one of the better bargains in the NFL. So each of us uh, choosing Evan McPherson plus a member of the Bengals defense as our training camp MVPs. Let's move to topic number two. What did you uh, consider to be the biggest positives coming out of training camp? Oh, I think the fact that nobody get hurt, uh, I think, uh, was a big thing. And I, I know we'll probably talk about that later. I guess it's a bit of a gamble uh, with uh, not, not playing anybody during the season. But uh, I think uh, Zach has taken the uh, nod. I think he's taken the, the key from the quarterback. And a quarterback has played all of – Joe Burrow uh, specifically has played all of three preseason snaps in his career. It doesn't seem to have hurt him. So uh, given that, uh, you know, the appendicitis probably, the, when that happened, they probably said, well, he definitely won't play in the preseason. I'm not sure he was going to play anyway, you know? And um, so to me, that's the big thing is everybody's pretty, you know, he gets him to the gate. And I think in, in, in this league, if you get him to the gate, you get a shot. And then, you know, I think the other positive, too, is, and I think we hit on it, I picked Bell, you picked Hendrickson, but the theme's the same. This defense is back. Uh, they don't miss anybody. They're a year older. They're a, they've been in a year in the system with Lou Anarumo. Uh, so I think it's, and they, and, they, and they look ready to go. I mean, I thought they, they didn't miss a beat. I thought they looked good against the Rams. Although I, I have to be honest with you, I didn't see much of that because I was watching Burrow. Uh, I said to Jay Gruden, I said, uh, Jay Gruden, the former Bengals offensive coordinator, now a consultant for the Rams. I said, Jay, I've never been able to figure out how to cover one of these uh, joint practices. You know, you, you, you can't watch both. He goes, so he goes, if I were you, I'd go where number nine is. <laughs> so I took, that, I took that advice and I followed number nine, uh, which was good because I had a bird's eye view for the, uh, for the uh, extracurriculars, but defensively, when I, whenever I did turn around, you know, they looked like they did against the Bengals offense. You know, they looked, uh, I just think uh, the defense, I think nobody said anything about the defense. It's all Burrow. It's all chase. 
It's all Higgins and Boyd, and rightfully so. But two things I can't wait to see are the two best secrets of training camp, in my opinion, the defense and Joe Mixon. For the record, Matthew Stafford also wears number nine. So are you yeah, sure, yeah, are you sure yeah, that yeah. Jay, Jay Gruden wasn't talking about the Rams quarterback since he's now a consultant with the Rams? But no, I'm, I'm sure he was referring to Joe Burrow. And I agree with you on the big positive, uh, particularly where the defense is concerned to me. That was the most impressive thing overall at training camp. It looked like the defense picked up right where it left off. And, and the defense was the key to the postseason run last year. And I think you've got some guys that are emerging that are going to help make that defense even better. Dax Hill is going to be a nice versatile piece for Luana Rumo. And I'm really interested to see what Akeem Davis Gaither is going to do this year, because while Logan Wilson was not practicing 11 on 11 for, you know, two thirds of training camp, Akeem Davis Gaither looked really good. So he's going to be uh, used in a lot of situations by Lou Anarumo. We know he's good in the passing game. I think they might be able to, to get more use out of him in early down. So uh, with those two additions and the guys they've got coming back, I think the defense is something to be very excited about for Bengals fans. Let's move to topic number three. And this is the flip side of what we were just talking about. What's your biggest concern going into week one? Oh, I'm, I'm the classic front runner here. My biggest concern is they didn't play anybody in the, <laughs> in the preseason. So that's a, that's a classic front runner for you. But, you know, I guess if that's one thing, you know, that maybe we'll worry, uh, you know, how long will it take them to get into sync in the opener? You know, uh, will it, you know, will it, will they come out sluggish? Will they, you know, will they uh, not come out of the gate quickly and will they have to knock off rust? Um, and how long will it take them to knock off rust? But I think I'd rather be healthy. I think I'd rather be healthy. And if it takes, you know, if it takes a quarter and a half, you know, to get into it, then then I think over a 17, a 17 game, 18 wink, uh, 18 wink week Valley Forge slog that the NFL has become, then I think I'll take the first, you know, the first, uh, you know, two quarters getting into it. And, uh, you know, I think I think that's worth uh, I think that's worth the uh, the risk. And I think the way they play the game now. You know, I just think it's uh, uh, I think they I think they got enough work in, you know, the, the way the game is played now, uh, they you know, they got about uh, they got a lot, you know, they got a lot of work in. I think they got in more work against the Rams, which was pretty close to live. It was live for everything but tackling. You know, they they got in as probably as much work as they would have if uh, they did the preseason before when they played about 15 preseason snaps. So, you know. Maybe that's, you know, I think they probably have done just as much work. It's in a different, it's in a different fashion. So maybe like, uh, like any fan, I'm worried about nothing. My biggest concern is the offensive line. I think it's going to be better. I liked what they did in the off season. I like the new pieces on the offensive line, but we still haven't seen it. When they take their first stat snap against the Steelers, it will be their first snap together in a game. Uh, I don't know if three weeks basically working together is enough to develop that chemistry and, and timing and communication that an offensive line needs to be good. Dave Lapham seems to think that's enough time. Frank Pollock seems to think that's enough time. I hope it's enough time, but I guess until I see it, I'm going to remain a little bit concerned about it. Plus Lael Collins, you know, with the amount of time he missed, how much rust is there going to be there to begin the season? He looked pretty good in the first joint practice against the Rams. 
not so good. The next day, maybe he was just, you know, exhausted because he had not taken part in 11 on 11 football prior to that. Will Cordell Volson be able to pick up the type of uh, stuff that the Pittsburgh Steelers are going to show him in week one and, and the Ravens are going to show him when they get to the Baltimore game. So again, I think it should be better. I think it should be at least league average. Uh, but until I see it, there's going to be a little bit of concern there for me. The other thing I would say that uh, is shaping up as a current concern would just be cornerback depth. Chidabe Awuje looks great, looks healthy. That's fine. Mike Hilton, same thing. Looks great, looks healthy. After that, you've got some question marks. Eli Apple had a good training camp, but then had fluid drained from his uh, thigh at the end of camp. We'll see how that uh, looks going into the season opener. Cam Taylor Britt's going to be out for a while. After you get uh, by the starters, you've got Trey Flowers, who is pretty good in a situational role, but how good would he be as your you know, starting corner if he had to go in there? Uh, Jalen Davis has been good in preseason games over the past couple of years, but if you had to rely on him in the slot, taking Mike Hilton's place, how good would he be? Alan George, good for him. I mean, I think it's great that he's made this team as a undrafted free agent out of Vanderbilt, but how confident would you be if he had to be in there for meaningful snaps? So I guess those are the, the two things that stand out to me as the biggest uh, concerns that I have. Will the offensive line be as good as we hoped it would be when they made those additions? And uh, will they have enough, enough depth at the beginning of the season at the cornerback position? Yeah, I mean, I would just say a cor- nobody has any depth at cornerback. You're right. I mean, what, you, uh, what you just ran through is I would have bet what, 31 other teams are going through right now. Certainly the Rams are Yep. Uh, after looking at what they had after the, you know, the, the, you know, the third and fourth corner. I mean, that's how you make a living in this league. How many times have we had chase or Boyd or Higgins scoring a touchdown and you look down at your, you look down at your uh, uh, flip card to see who they beat. You never heard of the guy, <laughs> you know, and that's, uh, that's, that's, that's what happens, you know? So um, I don't, you know, I think, uh, and I think kind of the, just switch, Flipping back to the offensive line, I understand the concern, but the thing that uh, I think may be different, and, uh, you know, yeah, and we won't know. We won't know if three weeks is enough. We won't know if LC will hold up. These are questions that, you know, that can't be answered. But I like the fact that, you know, all three guys are veterans and they know how to play. They know how to play the game, you know, and I think uh, that's the one thing I thought LC uh, looked at. I mean, uh, there was some ugly moments against Floyd, but he, but, but he made sure the quarterback didn't get, you know, he didn't make sure, you know, the quarterback, there were no, there were no free runners when they were out there. You know what I mean? They, he knows how to keep the guy away from the quarterback. I think all those Karras, Kappa, you know, they haven't had experience up like that up front in, in, in a, in a while. So I'm, 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 I'm thinking that's going to be the difference this trip. Which are there any surprises on the 53 man roster to begin the season or in the, the position battles now that we're set for the start of the season? Yeah, I, yeah, not really. I mean, I mean, maybe the numbers wise, I was kind of surprised they went with six receivers and four running backs. You know, I don't know if that's a major, is that a major surprise? I, you know, that's not major. It's a little tweak. Um, you know, Alan George making it. Yeah. That was going to happen when Eli got dinged and, Cam Taylor Brent went down. So that, that really wasn't a surprise. Uh, I think probably maybe a Shelvin, the fourth round or not being able to stick, you know, I think, you know, I think they thought the way he came back, I think they were encouraged that he came back uh, in shape, but I think the risk kind of bothered him maybe more than we thought. 
So I think they're hoping he can, you know, a little more seizing on the practice squad. But I think other, uh, I think other than that, uh, Wardy, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not surprised that Huber and Harris made it. I thought uh, that, you know, with those guys, with those two guys, it was going to have to be a knockout. You know, it was going to be a have to be a third round. You knock them down four times in the third round. Just didn't happen. It was uh, they were razor, you know, they were uh, uh, Clark Harris. I thought can still obviously get down the field, and uh, Huber uh, Huber has, uh, you know. He has knocked the ball inside the 20 against the Steelers. So I think that that probably, uh, although as, Ke- as I was talking to Darren Simmons about this, he said, now remember, he said, Kevin Huber hadn't done it either when he got the job. But I think Kevin showed enough. And I think Drew, sh- I think Drew Christmas showed enough talent that's worthy enough to develop. And Huber showed he's got, you know, enough left uh, to bail out this offense if they, if they do need bailing out. To me, Alan George from the guys that were in training camp would be the biggest surprise to make the roster. But I guess my my biggest surprise overall was that they were able to get three guys that look like they can help as waiver claims. And I yeah. think that's the big surprise to them as well, since they were 31st in the order after yeah. being the Super Bowl runner up last year. I don't think they dreamt it'd be possible to uh, add three guys that they like, most especially Max Sharping. Because this is a guy who's been a three-year starter in the NFL. Now, admittedly, he doesn't have extraordinarily good PFF grades. He wouldn't have been available if that had been the case. But I think, if nothing else, he's league average. Last year, he was ranked 56th out of 90 guards that had enough snaps by pro football focus. And he's not coming in to start in Cincinnati. So when you can get a guy like that, proven guy that you liked, Uh, when he was drafted that has at least been okay in the NFL to add to your depth on the offensive line. I think that's a really good uh, addition right before the start of the season. Yeah, I agree. Uh, That's, I mean, basically it was a supplemental draft. I mean, they had guys, you know, high, you know, fairly high draft picks make it through. And I also think, Cordy, I think the guy who's going to end up helping them probably quicker than anybody is probably the tight end that they picked up from the Patriots because they need help at tight end. Even before Wilcox got hurt, I think that was a position of need that they were focused on, that they were going to try and upgrade uh, in the last uh, week or two of the preseason. And I think that that's, I think you're right. I think that surprised them that they could get a guy of, uh, and I'm going to have trouble pronouncing his name, but of, of val- getting the tight end from uh, USC, I believe. Is that, uh, no, from, yeah, from USC, right? Asi um, Asi. Yes, right. And, uh, they, you know, the guy's a blocker. I think that's what they were looking for. I mean, I know there was interest in O.J. Howard, I guess, uh, according to some reports. But I think Asiasi probably fits them uh, better because I think they're looking for the kind of the blocking. You know, like James Casey said, we got to protect the quarterback. You know, we got to block the defensive end. And here's the other thing. They don't use, uh, you know, they don't use three tight ends a lot. They don't use two tight ends a lot. But, you know, I think uh, that's so that's why I think this is what they had in mind. And I think he'll be, he'll probably be on the, I would imagine he'd be active, uh, I would think. Uh, and uh, so I, I think he's a guy that could, you know, going to be interesting to see the first short yardage situation. We'll see, uh, see how good of a blocker he is. All right, let's uh, touch on a topic that you referred to, and that is how uh, Zach Taylor used his starters or didn't use his starters in the preseason games. Was that the right decision? I'm all for it. I'm 100% for it. 
even if it backfires in the opener. I think, what did we do all camp? We spent, you know, we, we, we spent it looking at pro football talk to see what was the, what was the latest, biggest injury, you know, even the Steelers, the team they're going to play, uh, two of their guys get knocked out. TJ Watt, their best defensive player, the player of the year, the defensive player of the year. He got, you know, he, he nicked his knee and, uh, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm sure he'll be fine. I, you know, I hope he's fine. I'm sure he's fine. He'll be ready for the opener. But I mean, I, I just not sure you have to do that in this day and age, the way they play the game, you know? So I think it was uh, also, you know, I think uh, I was talking to Dan Pitcher about how much work Burrow got against the Rams. I think uh, uh, if you throw in the uh, seven on seven stuff, he got up to about 60 snaps. You know, now granted that wasn't, you know, guys weren't hitting him. But, you know, it was good, you know, it was good, uh, uh, it was good, uh, I hate to say it, because this is what everybody says, good work, but it was, uh, but, it, but it was, I think it was good work. I mean, considering that uh, what he would have faced in a regular preseason game, you know, with a threat of injury or something happening. So, yeah, I'm, I'm uh, I think, you know, and I think this is the, I think this is the wave of the future. I mean, guys like Sean McVay and Zach, uh, the young head coaches, uh they look at it, they see what it is, and uh, I think they've adjusted accordingly. Here's the answer to that question. Should Zach have uh, rested the starters as much as he did? Tyron Smith, Cowboys left tackle, out indefinitely. David Bakhtiari, Packers at left tackle, he's out for week one in all likelihood. Mackay Becton, Jets offensive lineman, he's out for the season. You just can't afford in this day and age to have your best players knocked out in preseason action. So you do whatever you can to try to keep those guys healthy. And like you said, if it means you get off to a bit of a slow start, that's the calculated gamble that you're taking. But I think it's a smart gamble. And I do think along the lines of what you were saying that those two joint practices against the Rams probably gave them more legitimate preseason work than a handful of snaps at the beginning of a preseason game would have given them. So that seems to be the formula going forward. Always try to have a joint practice lined up against the team to make sure your starters get some legitimate work with restrictions that make uh, serious injuries less likely. And uh, that that's the best way to get, uh, get your team to game one healthy. Yeah. The only thing I would do is I would make it, I would make it with two teams and only do it once, once a day. The second day seems to be a bit of a, uh, bit of a problem. So just sign up two teams, do do it one the second week in the training camp, and then the next one like they did with the Rams, the third week in training camp, yep. and let's go. And I guess, but you know, they still want to sell tickets to the game. So, but that's always a good spot to good spot to get your uh, the games is a great way really to, to to find out what the bottom of the roster is going to look like. Really, I I think they the way they planned it was really uh, just about right. And one of those joint practices and preseason games should be against the Colts like it used to be. Yeah, the right. two teams are so close together, how they've gone a couple of years uh, after the reduction of preseason games from four to three without playing each other is a mystery to me. It makes too much sense not to do. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, bringing in a team from the West coast and um, you know, and I don't know is, is maybe matching up, uh, matching up two teams that just played in the Super Bowl. That's kind of interesting, but that might, you know, uh, I thought that was really interesting because that's, I, I think that was, that was good from the standpoint of 
think there was some opening day adrenaline there. It, they couldn't help me, but just, you know, to be something left over from February 13th. All right, a few more topics. What do you expect from Jesse Bates to begin the season? Jesse's so consistent. You know, he's one of these guys you, uh, uh, you, you know, you, you wind them up, you roll them out there, and he's going to, and he's going to be good, you know, uh, and I think, uh, I think he'll be better than last year. I think he was pretty open about how he struggled last year trying to come to terms with his contract and playing. And he was pretty open about that. So I think he's got his arms around that now. I think he's in a better place. And so I think, I think he's going to be good. I think he's, uh, uh, you know, he's a hell of a player. And look what he did in the postseason, you know. Uh, I mean, he had a great postseason, you know. So if he can come anywhere near that, you know, they'll, they'll be fine. Historically, he's played nearly every snap. That might go down a little bit, especially early in the season. Maybe they'll give him, you know, the occasional break just because of the amount of time missed. But I expect him to play well. I'm with you. Do you have an under-the-radar candidate to have a breakout year? Yeah, just probably because I just wrote about him and, uh, you know, Cam Sample, I think. The uh, versatile uh, defensive uh, lineman. I think he's a, and I agree with you on, on Davis Gaither. I think I think that's a great guy to watch. And it Cam too. You know, Cam's. A, a, I think last year he was hurt a little bit. Um, he got hurt late in the year with with a hamstring, with a hamstring issue uh, that took him out of the last two games. But and I also think he was. You know, uh, he also had some other stuff going on with his core. He ended up having having surgery on his core. So you know, they say he. You know. He looked really good in camp, I thought. He was very active. He gives him a guy that can go inside and outside. He's not, you know, you don't want to use him as a three technique a lot, but you can. He's a really good edge player. Plays the run really well, I thought. I thought that was one of the major reasons last year that they were so good against the run was Cam. I think Cam played about 310 snaps. He's really good against the run. And he can give you some pressure inside, too. Really, you know, like Lou Anarumo said the other day, this guy, he'll play for 10 years just because he knows, just because he'll always be in the right spot, you know? So I think a guy like that who's serious, committed, another year in the system, and he's healthy, you know, I think he, uh, you know, you, you know, we're looking to kind of Larry Ogunjobi seven sacks. It doesn't come from really the same position, but maybe Camp can help you get some of those. I don't know if this guy should count as under the radar because I've been talking about him so much in camp, but Hayden Hurst would be my guy. I just think he's poised to surpass the numbers that CJ Uzama put up last year. And admittedly, those were not pro bowl like numbers, but he was pretty productive, but I think Hayden Hurst could have 60 plus catches. I think he could have 700 plus yards, eight touchdowns with a bunch of them coming in the red zone. I just think, there's going to be so many opportunities for him with all of the attention on the, the three great wide receivers. And we know that Joe Burrow will find the open man. So if Hayden Hurst stays healthy, I think he's got the chance to uh, earn a huge contract at the end of this year, since he signed a one-year deal with the Bengals. Let's get to our final topic. And that is next Sunday, week one, Pittsburgh Steelers. Do you have an early key to that uh, week one matchup? Yeah, you kind of mentioned it. I mean, it's 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 always the Bengals offensive line versus the Steelers defensive line. I always thought uh, in this previous uh, era of Dalton and Green, uh, there wasn't a hex against the Steelers. There wasn't a jinx against the Steelers. You had to block Hayward into it. 
That's that's what that series came down to in that stretch. And I think now with the Steelers in the post-Ben era, uh, trying to find some weapons, got an, uh, basically a new offense, you know, they're going to ride that defense. You know, they got three, they got three good minds over there. Mike Tomlin, uh, he hasn't gone anywhere. Hell of a coach, but he's also got Brian Flores there. Uh, good defensive mind as long with Terrell Austin, the former Bengals defensive coordinator. He's, he's, he's now the Steelers defensive coordinator. So, you know, you know, they're going to be good on defense. They got Watt. So to me, it always comes down to protecting, protecting Burrow against, I mean, against those guys. You can't, you can't let the Steelers defense dictate to you. You got to attack them. I thought they did great. The last, their, their first game down in Pittsburgh last year, if I'm not mistaken, they broke their sack. They Correct. broke the Steelers' consecutive uh, game for sacks. Burrow didn't get sacked, and uh, you know, need another one like that. Be a great, it's a great, uh, be a great way for this offensive line to get off the. And I and I think that's the other thing. That's the key. But guys like Karras and Kappa, they can get they can get Bolson through a game like that. All those guys have played in Super Bowls, you know. So I think, uh, you know, I think that's uh, uh, this trip around. I think it's a pretty good matchup at home. The Steelers have led the NFL in sacks in each of the last five years. That is a record for longest streak by any team in NFL history. So what you're saying makes sense. And yet I am shocked because the Steelers were dead last in the NFL at stopping the run last year, which is highly unusual for them. I thought for sure I was going to get a Joe Mixon versus that questionable run stopping defense would be the key to the game. Well, yeah, the Steelers gave up five yards per bolt, which is uh, very un, very un Steeler like. But I, uh, you know, I I don't know because uh, then that would be the great answer, you know, to you know for for Volson and that new offensive line. What's the answer? Well, run the ball. You know, you want to get them. You know, you don't want to get them in a uh, in pass sets right away. You know what I mean? You don't want them. You know, you, you know they haven't. If you want to get into a rhythm in the season, what's the way to do it? I guess it would be to give Mixon a give him 30 touches or something like that. Uh, but I still think when push comes to shove, you got to protect the big fella. It's going to be a fun week. It's going to be an unbelievable atmosphere on Sunday, taking the field as defending AFC champions in a regular season game for the first time. Have have never played the Steelers in an opener, which is which is unbelievable. And I think they've played them more than any other team, I think. Um, and yet they've, they've never played an opener. I, I find that unbelievable. I can't wait to hear Dan Horde welcoming the audience with about five minutes to go before kickoff. That's always a great, that's always when I'm dialing in there. And I get, hmm. uh, you, you and Lap get me jacked up. That'll be a, I'll be waiting for this one because the first time they, they, they take the field since the Super Bowl is AFC champions. Here's a heads up that our Bengals Weekly On Location radio shows get started this week. Dave Lapham and I will be at Bucketheads on Harrison Ave for the Bengals Game Plan Show Wednesday night from 6 to 8. Then on Friday, we'll be at the Buffalo Wings and Rings location in Oakley for the Bengals Pep Rally Show from 3 to 6. We hope to see you there. That's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast presented by Ultimate Bengals. Download Ultimate Bengals ahead of the 2022 season. It's free to play next-level fantasy football with fantastic Bengals prizes. Get it now on the App Store and Google Play. And if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to this podcast. And if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find us. 
I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.